but as I was, uh, I was thinking that this morning that this world actually has limited New Year's celebrations left. Uh, and that thought, thought had never really occurred to me, but the fact is that there is an end date on this world. The Bible says that for us as believers, based on his promise in 2 Peter 3.13, we wait for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And I don't know about you, but I'm kind of looking forward to a new heaven and new earth. Um, there's something uh, pretty special about the fact that there's that wait awaiting us. And, of course, the, the Bible says that only the Father knows the exact time. Um, I can't give, give you a date, but I'll tell you this. That in the last few years, there has been a flurry, a prophetic um, activity that's been happening. As I, as I look at what will come to pass, and I see what's happening on the, the world stage, there, there's a lot of things that are happening now that I'm like, whoa, that makes sense. That needs to be in place. And these things are happening at a pace that I, I've not seen before since, or known has happened since Jesus Christ um, walked here on earth. The other thing I'm seeing lately is I'm seeing a decline of the world very quickly. Because it's almost like the days of Noah. Google has, has really brought this world all together. Um, I thought it was interesting that, you know, now uh, I'll go places and I can get them to speak into my phone. Well, I'm sanitize it first. No. Um, but I speak to my phone, and it'll translate what they say, even if we don't speak languages, and we can communicate back and forth, right? We have this incredible way in the world of communicating back and forth. But the problem is, is that we tend to use them for things that don't bring glory to God. And I feel like we're heading down, as the Bible says, as in the days of Noah, when every man did that which was right in his own eyes, so will the day when the coming of the Son of Man be. And so God, though, has given us another year to begin. God has given us 2022, at least the beginning of 2022 to begin. And so my thought this morning is, why has he given us another year? What's God's purpose in granting the church another year on this, on this world? Well, turn to Philippians chapter 2, verse 15. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 15. Paul's giving instructions, and he says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He said, I want you to be light in this world. God has given us the task of being lights to this world. You know, when Jesus was in the world, when he walked the world, what did he say? I am the light of the world. But Jesus ascended into heaven. And before he ascended, he said to his disciples, you are light to this world. He's given us that responsibility to declare his glory. And so church in 2022, we have this responsibility to live differently. We have this responsibility to play differently, to work differently. For this one purpose that I, I find is mentioned over and over in the text that we're going to look at this morning, found in Ezekiel chapter 37. Ezekiel chapter 37, if you turn there, and we'll look in verse 6. The very last part of uh, verse 6 in Ezekiel chapter 37, it says, And you shall know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Jehovah, the I am 
the uncreated one, the one that there is no one like him. In case we're inclined to miss it, go to uh, just before chapter 37 and 36, verse 38, the last little phrase there. Then they will know what? I am the Lord. In case that is not enough, God's not making it clear. Look at verses 13 and 14 of chapter 37 of Ezekiel. It says, you will know that I am the Lord. Very good. Some of you can, can talk. When you open your graves, I raise you from your graves, O my people, and I'll put my spear within you. You shall live, and I'll place in you, you in your own land, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And in case that's not clear enough, go right down to the very end of it. Um, verse 28 of chapter 37. Then the nations will know I am the Lord. See, the reason we are a light is we are a light and a testimony to the world that he is the Lord. That's the light we are. To say there is one God. Worship him. There's one God. Worship him. It's a reminder that we, the people of God, are part of a theocracy. That there is one ruler over all. We don't get to, you know, come together and say, okay, this is what is right and wrong. This is the way the church is to be run. Even the pastors of this church, we don't get to sit down and say, this is what we need to do as a church. We say, what is God calling us to do as a church? Because it is one king over all. There's one Lord over all in our church. Pastor Dave and I were talking that one time um, we were accused often of exporting um, imperialism to the world as evangelicals. And we say, you know what, it, there's a sense in which, which they are right that accuse us of that. Because we are calling the world to submit to a rule. Now it's hopefully not the rule of the North American way. That's not the rule that we are called to do as missionaries. We're called to call the world to submit to the rule of the one king the creator, the Lord over all. And we do, we are guilty on that account. We go into every nation, tribe, and tongue and say, listen, there is a king and there's a rule that must be obeyed. There's a law that must be followed. We are guilty of that because we are in a theocracy. We don't call the rules. We follow his way. That's why one of the first titles that the believers got in the, um, the book of Acts was that they were followers of the way. That they just sit around and say, you know what, I feel like my spirituality tells me to do this today. No, it was this is what God is saying, and this is what we are going to do. And so as we come to Ezekiel 36, God says, listen, the overall purpose is that I want people to know that I am the Lord. So church, as we live our lives, the way that we play, the way that we work, the way they interact with people, is it drawing people to the fact that there is a God? That there is a Lord? That there is a king over all? And as we come to Ezekiel 37, there is, um, we're coming, actually jumping in, of course, if you, if you hear me say Ezekiel chapter 37, you know we're not jumping in the first of the book. And so the book of Ezekiel is God is actually writing to a nation of Israel who are his people, and he's reminding them that they're actually supposed to be following him. Because they weren't doing a great job of that. And so the first part of the book is to remind them that judgment is real. That God is going to judge his people. That God does not tolerate defaming his name, dragging his reputation into the mud. 
that he has to defend his character. It's the only righteous thing he can do. And then the second thing is to relate to the nations around that God will always deal with his people first, but he will deal with all sin wherever it's found. He must deal with sin as a righteous judge. And then finally, to reveal the final restoration of Israel is which way we are now. God says, listen, I am going to do a work in Israel again. I'm going to restore Israel again. But if you want to kind of know a little bit of what was happening to get context for Ezekiel 37, turn to Ezekiel chapter 20, and you'll just get a little bit of context of what was happening. So God wants, um, in Ezekiel, I think it's like 70-some times is mentioned, uh, 70 times is mentioned that they will know that I am the Lord. That's the whole goal, God says. Now, Ezekiel 20, um, and just a second here, I'll flip it. Ezekiel 20, God says this um, to them as he, uh, let's start in verse 5. It says, and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them that I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. And I said to them, Cast away the detestable things your eyes feast on, every one of you, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and were not willing to listen to me. None of them cast away the detestable things their eyes feasted on, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. Then I said I would pour out my wrath on them and spend my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for the sake of my name that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations among whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known to them in bringing them out of the land of Egypt. God's saying, hey, listen, I called you out. I said, I want you to be my people that will display my glory and what it is to serve under a wise, righteous, and good kingdom. And the rest of the nations will look on and say, wow, there is a God. And he's a righteous, good, caring God. But God says, I brought you out into land. I took care of you. I delivered you. I did all this. And you forgot about me. Not only did you forget about me, but you went and drug all the things that brought you into slavery with you, and you serve them. And the nations that were all around you saw you drag my name into the mud. He said, you caused them to blaspheme my name. In other words, instead of treating me as the Lord, the King of kings, the great I am, he says, they ended up just seeing me as one interest among many. Just, just another common thing in this world to capture somebody's attention. So as we come to Ezekiel chapter 37, we find that the nation of Israel had done a poor job of letting the nations around them know that he is the Lord. Just as Israel, they had not chosen to honor God and by their actions actually did the opposite of what they were called to do. Church, what we must be reminded of is that we can be guilty of that also. Is that we either honor God as king Overall, the Lord of Lords, or we can just treat God and the way we treat him, the world sees us as just, God is just another endeavor that the world offers us that we can be engaged in. Do they see him as just another option in our life among many? Or do they see that God is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords? That God is unique in every way in our lives. Remember the Lord's Prayer? What does, how does it start? Our Father which art in heaven... Hallowed be thy name. Separate 
that there's no comparison in our lives and priorities for God to all the other things that can try to capture our attention. So if our task this year is to advance God's name and God's glory, how do we accomplish that? I think in our text we're going to see two ways. There are two commands that God gives Ezekiel. There are two things that we need to be to accomplish this work. Now, Again, this is a prophecy to Israel. It's a prophecy that's going to be fulfilled in the last days as he brings the nation of Israel from all over the world, dry bones scattered, all, and he brings them all together and restores them, those who have been scattered in unbelief. But I want to look at the practical application of what God is teaching here. I want us to see in this passage how God accomplishes work through the two commands that were given to the prophet Ezekiel. I think commands given for us today. And so let's just uh, ask God for wisdom as we open up his word. Father, as we come this morning, we come thankful that we can gather together. What a privilege it is. I know there's some that can't be with us. They're struggling with colds and sickness. And, and so, Father, I just pray that your hand would be upon those families right now, that you'd encourage them, um, you'd strengthen them, uh, because uh, the, the church needs to be get together in these times. We need the strength for one another. And, and so I just pray you'd bring health to our church family. And Father, I pray this morning above all things, though, that, that we would just have a heart to hear your word. We'd have a heart to let your spirit speak. We have a heart to respond in obedience. Father, may that be a true of me and true of each one that listens um, to the words that come from your word. Amen. Ezekiel 37 says, The hand of the Lord was upon me, in verse 1, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. So this is kind of like maybe your nightmare and, and, and not a good dream. But it was a vision God brings Ezekiel to, and he sets him in a valley that was full of bones. And so the Bible says that he led me around among them. So we know that this valley was full of bones. So he's picking his way through all the bones that are all piled up in this valley. And as he's trying to pick his way through all these bones, it says that, he says, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So he's using some kind of extreme terms to describe the condition of the bones that were filling this valley. As I was thinking about that, I... You know, there have been times that I've come across very dry bones in the woods. And you know what I've noticed about them? Is that they were never intact. They were never like, you know, ready to go to the, be shipped to the Smithsonian Museum um, to be able to, you know, be put on display. Because whenever an animal dies in the woods, there's like birds come and pick it apart. And then, I don't know, coyotes and whatever else comes along. And guess what ends up happening? Bones kind of get scattered and, and swirled all around. So he's here, it's like a mess of bones in the valley, very dry bones. I was thinking about that, and I said, boys, doesn't that remind me of the world today? Dry bones to me symbolize that there's no hope and there's no identity. Right? You look at that, and there's just a mess of bones. There's not, okay, this was a person, and this was a person. They're all laid out in perfect unity. They were just all in, in shambles. I was thinking about no identity this week. And as our world is always trying to seek identity, it's always trying to find meaning and purpose in themselves. And because, you see, if we, if, we, if we accept the biblical account of creation, we understand we've been created in the image of God. 
that God has designed us, that we have value because we're creating his image, that every person that is born in this earth, regardless of their you know, political situation or gender stuff, have incredible value. But what does the world try to do? They try to say, well, there is no God, and so we've all climbed out of a primordial sludge. We've all battled our way to be you know, the top among the species, and now we've got to figure out a way to find value. And so now we're trying to find our value in how much melanin we have in our skin, and we're trying to find value in, in expressions like sexuality and things like that, and we're trying to find our value in how many awards and trophies we can have or how many followers we have online or how much we have in our bank account. We're trying to find all these faults sense of value and identity without identity then i think of no hope reminds me of ephesians 2:12 it says remember you were at one time separated from christ you were strangers to the covenant of promise having no hope and without god in the world i mean solomon kind of takes us through that whole process in ecclesiastes doesn't he if you ever read ecclesiastes and and solomon was at the point see See, a lot of people in the world still have hope. It's because they never actually achieved what they're trying for, right? So they're like, okay, just, you know, a little bit more. If I can get there, you know, I, I've won in, you know, Bantam, and now I'm going to go up to the next, and, I'm, you know, if I achieve there, I'll, I'll keep getting better and better and better. But, but Solomon, King Solomon was at the point where he could get the top of basically whatever he wanted to do. You know what King Solomon said? Listen, I thought maybe if I try the party scene, he says, so, you know what I mean? I attended, I, you know, there was no parties like I held. And he says, at the end, it was what? Meaningless. He said, I tried to build myself great names. I tried to invest in all kinds of relationships. And he says, in the end, he says, enjoy your pitiful lives in this pitiful world. Because you're going to die. <laughs> it was a depressing, depressing ending. He says, as I looked at life under the sun, a life without God. So that's where it all ends up. Uh, it's interesting, I've heard psychologists say, they says the worst point in a person's time, the time when they always need counseling is when, especially they're talking about athletes, is when they achieve all the dreams that they had set out for themselves. They say if they don't achieve them, they're always busy trying to achieve them. And they think, well, then, then I would have purpose and meaning and hope. And they says, but when they actually achieve them, and they get there and they say, man, this is meaningless. It didn't mean what, what I thought it would mean. He says, that's when they actually need counseling. So Ezekiel looks at these valley of bones, the valley of bones, sorry. He looks out on them, and he sees they're very dry. There's no hope for them. And God tells them to do something very, very interesting. Something strange. God says this, can these bones live, Ezekiel? Now, I think Ezekiel was kind of like a politician, because Ezekiel doesn't answer the question. Matter of fact, Ezekiel kind of answers the question like if the police pulls you over and says, how fast were you going? And you're like, how fast am I, was I going? <laughs> I'm not sure how I want to answer this question, right? Um, you know, and he says, well, Lord, you know if these bones can live. And so God gives him his first command. God says to him, hey, I want you to start preaching to those bones. Start preaching the bones. My first point, that if we are going to advance God's name if, and his glory, we must be the people of the word. If we're going to advance God's name and God's glory in 2022, we need to be people of the word. Three times in these verses, God tells Ezekiel, preach to the bones. The idea of preach is to 
speak a word from God under the influence of God, which is much like the very beginning. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. He says, I have a message from God that I want to communicate, that I need to communicate to you. It carries bubbling up with fervency. And what an absurd instruction. I mean, we're, we're kind of third party, we're reading this, and we're like, hey, that's a kind of interesting story, right? But can you imagine if you were there? You're looking out, nobody else around. You're looking out at a valley full of very dry bones, and God says, hey, I want you to start preaching to them. Like, does your seminary training kick in? And you're like, well, I need to have an introduction, you know, content and a conclusion. So, well, good morning, Bones. It's great to have you here. You don't like, yeah. you've been waiting for me a long time. I don't know what, how, like, how do you start into that? But one thing I know about Ezekiel, that he was a man of the word. Because when God told him to do a strange thing, when he looked at it and said, listen, the word is not going to do anything. Do you, do you understand who I'm preaching to? Maybe that's me this morning. I know, I'm just joking. But do you understand who I'm preaching to, God? I'm preaching to dry bones. You know, I'm wasting my time. God says, I want you to preach to them anyways. He's like, they've been here like this for years. Why will they change? And God says, I want you to preach to them anyways. Because listen, God's word works. God's word works. And so what's he do? He says, well, I'm a man of the word. This is a theocracy. If God tells me to do it, it's not for me to decide whether I should do it or not. It's only for me to obey. And so he begins preaching to the bones. The Bible says this, verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded. Right? This isn't his idea. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I want to start singing the knee bone connects to the thigh bone. The thigh. <laughs> you can finish it for me. Um, but it says this, And then I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So as he begins to look, something amazing happens. That all of a sudden, you have like the bones all perfectly connected. You have the sinews holding them together. You have... You have the flesh that is covering them. They look like now a museum of dead people. They're laying there. But they, they're all complete. They're all put together. Can I say this? Our world needs the word of God. Our world needs the word of God. Our world is broken by the devil's masterful twisting of the truth that he started right in the beginning of the garden. And you, you, most of you know how that goes. Remember, God created a perfect garden, had proved himself in everything he did that he was fully trustworthy. And yet the devil comes in and the devil says to him, hey, do you think God is really looking out for your good? Do you think God can be trusted to look out for your best? I think you need to start doing that for yourself. Matter of fact, you need to start going with what your feelings are telling you about what is right for you. Right? And what were the feelings telling them? As they looked at that fruit that God says, don't eat from it. The Bible says that the more they looked at it, the more their feelings said, man, this is good for me. Right? It looks good. When it tasted, it tasted good. It felt right for a very short season. And so now, thousands of years later, we see that in every aspect of our life, we see the brokenness of the deceitfulness of the devil in our lives. When we have said, you know what? I don't think God can be trusted to know what's good for me. I'm going to have to choose for myself what is the best road for me to take. What are the best choices for my life? 
I think I'm going to start going with how I feel the right path is for me. And so we see now brokenness in our marriages, our workplace, our families, our church, our society, our finances. So how do we respond to the brokenness? How do we respond to all those dry bones? We preach the word. We preach the word. Romans 10, 14 says, How will people know unless there's someone to preach to them? 1 Timothy 4, 13, when it comes to the church, he says, Paul says to Timothy, Until I come, give attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. 2 Timothy 4, 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and teaching. God loves preaching. God loves preaching because he has determined that through preaching, he would save sinners. We can despise preaching all we want. We can replace preaching with productions. We can fill our services with good, wholesome music. We can um, play movies instead of opening up our Bible or do whatever we think is going to influence people. And we can fill our church building. But guess what? It won't change lives. People need the word of God. And so an incredible thing happens. As, as Ezekiel is preaching to these bones, they all become properly ordered. They all become properly structured. The word works. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is inspired by God, and it's profitable for correction, for, teach, sorry, for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. Now, those are a lot of big words, and so I really like to simplify it, especially when I'm teaching the kids about how effective the Word of God is. And so I put it this way. The Word of God tells us what is right. That's what teaching is, right? It tells us what is right. It tells us when we are not right. That's rebuking, okay? That is not right. It tells us how to get right. That's correcting, okay? Correcting is the idea of mending a broken bone, putting it back into place. So it tells us how to get it right, and then instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. I'll say that again. The Word of God tells us what is right, when we are not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. And it works. Can I ask, us, ask you, church, are you known as a person of the Word? Are you a proclaimer of the Word? On the sports teams, on the recreational things you do, are you known as the preacher? It's okay to be known as the preacher. The person who, who, who's probably going to maybe quote scripture at some point. Who's going to say, hey, I know what God says about this. Are, are, are we people who declare the word of God to the society around us? The coworker, do they know that the choices you make are because you are under the authority of Jesus Christ? And they know that you make decisions based on what Jesus Christ did? And even when you mess up at work, that you apologize and you make it right because that's what God calls you to do? Do they know that? Is the word of God a staple in your private life, in your home? Think about this. What did, when Jesus said, I must be about my father's business, what was he doing? Remember, it was a situation where, where his mom, who had given one task to raise, you know, raise the son of God, lost him. Remember? They were frantic, like, how? Like, I mean, it's bad enough. We lost the kid once. That was traumatic enough, but I can't imagine if I was entrusted with God himself. That, that would have been super traumatic. <laughs> the hope of the world is gone, and I did it. Um, but, uh, but what was Jesus doing? Teaching. 
right? I must be about my father's business. I, the world needs the word. It'll change the world. John 4, 35, Jesus says, don't say there's still four months to harvest. In other words, don't say, oh, well, they're not ready for the word yet. I gotta do some more prep. He says this, listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. They are ready for a harvest. They're white for harvest. Now, this is in the context of the Samaritan women. If you remember, they're all busy, you know, we got to get the grocery list done, and we got to make the meal and do all this sort of stuff. And Jesus notices that there's this one woman coming at an odd hour, probably to avoid everybody else, to the well. And guess what he does? He walks up, and he, guess what? Preaches the word. He tells her the truth of what God wants her to know. And the disciples come, and what, what's going on? Why are you talking to this woman? And at that point, she had gone back into the city, and she had told people who she had met, and they're coming back out, and they say in, in uh, the common workers, a lot of times we're white, and so that's why he says the fields are white under harvest. So probably he was seeing all these people in white clothes working their way down to the well, and he says, look, more people that need to hear the word of God so that their lives can be changed. We have the opportunity to spread the word of God, and the time is now. The time is now to spread the word of God. I know there's been times God has convicted me with that because sometimes I'll be like, God, well, it's just not a good time. I haven't built a big, uh, you know, a, a, a good enough relationship with them yet. I, I haven't put enough investment into this yet in order to share the word of God. And I remember one time God convicted me because I was involved in a woodsman competition and I don't know, they, they, sometimes, I don't know why, you know, the people that are leading it put people where they do. But I was on, like, the Swede double cross-cut saw. But I was never the biggest kid. And uh, so, <laughs> so uh, and, and they always set it up really high. So, I mean, when, when I was a kid, I was swinging, like, way up here. And, um, and then they would bring us against, we would compete against teams down the valley. And I think they came out of their mom's wombs, like, six foot six. They were, they were huge. Anyway, so we had this team, and we would compete. And there was one guy on the team, and I, I remember week after week, God said, hey, you need to talk to him about me. You need to talk to him about salvation. I remember thinking, no, it's not a good time. I don't really know him very well. And, you know, because he was, we didn't actually do anything together. And I'm like, so, he, I mean, he knows of me, and we, we kind of laugh a little bit. But we never really gotten to that point where I can share Jesus. I remember one time showing up at a practice, I said, hey, where, where's so-and-so? And they said, oh, you didn't hear 12, 13 years of age, he took his father's shotgun and shot himself. God said, hey, the door's not always open. Preach the word. People need to hear the word of God. Preach the word of God. Now as Ezekiel is faithful in preaching the word of God, he looks instead of a valley full of dry bones, it looks like a museum, but other than looking good, they're still no more useful than when they were scattered bones. And it's a good reminder to preachers like me That, that the proclamation of the word of God is not enough. The proclamation of the word of God is not enough. That I can't bask in just being a life coach to the people. Right? So I'm trying to help people, you know, get, get all the brokenness in their life straightened out. So let's fix your finances, fix your marriage, um, you know, fix your family life, um, fix your work ethic, do all this sort of fix them all, help you gain the whole world, but in the end you lose your own soul because you don't have eternal life. Because we can easily just use the word of God to fix lives on the surface and not get to the heart of the problem that 
that they need to come spiritually alive. And so as Ezekiel is looking out at these bones, he's, man, they look good now. It looks, looks perfect, except there is no life in this. It's a good reminder to us preachers that we can proclaim the word in our own strength. Right there, I could stand up here and I could just be talking, saying, you know what, I got this. I preached for a lot of years. I can handle a message. I can do this, God. You can stay home. I got this one. But guess what? It may help you organize your life. You may say, you know, that was some helpful things I said. But you know what? It's not going to bring life change, eternal change, unless something else happens. We cannot bring people to life spiritually by just the word of God. There's something else needs to happen. And so first of all, we need to be a people that preach the word. But secondly, I find in here, we come to the second command that God gives Ezekiel, that if we are to advance God's name and his glory, we must be people of prayer. Verses 9 to 10. Then he says to me, God says to me, prophesy to the breath. Because just before that, he says there was no breath in them. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath came into them. They lived and stood on their feet, an exceeding great army. So another strange thing. Now God's saying to him, Well, listen, now I need you to prophesy to the breath. And you're like, what in the world is that? Well, God clarifies a little bit. If you want to read down just a little farther. God says, well, listen, this is actually an illustration of what I'm going to do for Israel. And then in verse 13, And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. What enters them and brings life? The Spirit of God. So when we, when we talk... To God, what do we call that? Prayer. You know, the interesting, Ezekiel's preaching those bones, guess what? They get all ordered, but there's no life. And then God says, hey, you need to talk to the Spirit. You start talking to the Spirit, and then the Spirit enters them, and what? Makes them come alive. We need to be people of prayer. Jesus clarifies what happens in verse 14, that breath is the Holy Spirit. John 3, Jesus will very clear, clearly identify the importance of this as he talks to um, Nicodemus. Remember, Nicodemus is religious ruler, so he spent his life um, studying the Word of God, living the Word of God, and teaching the Word of God. So if you looked at his life, he would have been one of those beautiful corpses laying in that valley. Because he knew the Word of God. There would probably nobody in town could have looked at Nicodemus and found something that was a problem in Nicodemus' life on the surface. And Nicodemus comes to him, and Jesus said to him, Nicodemus, he said, unless, truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You need to have spiritual life to see the kingdom of God. Now here's a man that was even preaching the word of God, that understood it, that was seeking to live the word of God. But he did not have spiritual life. And then Jesus, again, reemphasized in verse 5 of John 3, truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He says, unless the spirit moves... Unless the Spirit works, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. All his knowledge could not make him alive spiritually. Only the Spirit can bring life. John 6, 63, the Bible says, The Spirit is the one who gives life. The flesh cannot help at all. So if we are dependent on the Spirit to do a work, 
then we need to be people of prayer. We need to people go into God and say, God, we need you to move in this situation. We need you to change hearts. We need you to open eyes. Because we can be faithful in preaching, and we need to be faithful in preaching, right? People aren't saved unless they first hear, but we need the Holy Spirit to move in and do the work that only he can do. And to do that, we need to be people of prayer. I wonder, church, if we don't see the hand of God moving because we forget that we need to be a praying people. Instead, we just keep preaching. Because we can do preaching. Instead of declaring our dependence on God and being a people that are passionate in prayer, we, just, we sometimes just limit ourselves to preaching. I mean, think about that. What if, what if Ezekiel looked in that valley and saw all those beautiful corpses and just kept preaching to them? He'd still be there today, wouldn't he? But instead, he begins talking to God about the situation. Saying, God, will you fulfill your promise? You made a commitment that you were going to make these things alive. Will you keep your promise? And guess what? God's spirit moved, and they became an amazing army. Mark 9, 18. We don't have time to turn there, but if you turn there, there's a really interesting little, little story that happens is that a, a guy had a son that was demon-possessed, and so he brings them to the disciples, so the disciples would cast them out. And I'm assuming, because some of the other scenarios, that what they did is they spoke to the demon, and they said, demon, you know, in the name of Jesus, you, you be gone, or whatever, however they worded it. And the spirit wouldn't leave. The evil spirit did not leave the kid. And so then the dad brings the kid to Jesus and is like, hey, your disciples weren't able to cast out this demon. What's going on? And Jesus says, this kind does not come out by prayer and fasting. But you need the Spirit of God to work in this situation. And they, could have, they could have spent all day just preaching away at this child and this, the demon that was in them. But they needed God's Spirit to come down and move and do what they were incapable of doing. Peter Dekna said a lady once came to him saying she'd been saved for many years and her husband was an atheist. And so she was always laying like little tracks around and, you know, just trying to, trying to get him to, you know, um, become a Christian, repent and put his faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And he, and he was hard and he gave her a hard time and kind of really mocked her and made fun of her faith. And she says to him, she said to him when he came preaching, she says, what do I do? He's not listening to me anymore. He says, listen, lady, you've been faithful in preaching, but now you need to start being faithful in praying. He says, you start praying for your husband. You get on your knees, and all the effort you put into preaching, you start putting into praying. And three months later, guess what? Her husband came to faith in Jesus Christ. Because we need the Spirit to work. We need to be a people of prayer. You know, as I've traveled around the world, it's interesting to me how often in the world where I travel, they speak of having all-night prayer meetings as a commonplace thing. That's normal for them. And I feel for the North American church that the words of Jesus in the Garden of the Gethsemane are so, I don't know, just drives it right home when he says, what, can you not watch and pray with me one hour? Just kind of a little tidbit. Our, our prayer meetings are usually about one hour. He says, can you not do even one hour? Can you not be a people of prayer that gather for even one hour? Do we want to see God's hand move? Do we want to see his spirit make people alive? If we want to be a church that sees the hand of God at work, then we must be a praying church. We, we can fill the seats without prayer, but we can't do eternal change without prayer. You know, church history is full of spectacular moments when God seems to come down and shake with his presence. 
And one of the ones, my favorite ones, is in the Scottish Hebrides Islands in 1949 to 52. And um, they had some faithful preachers that preached the word of God. The problem was not a lack of the word of, you know, preaching the word of God, but people just, God was not a priority in their lives. And so there were two ladies that were greatly burdened because of the state of the body of Christ, the community. And, and so, so they decided that, the, you know, the church of God, they needed an awakening. And they said, we're going to pray until revival comes. They spent hours in prayer, usually start around 10 p.m. and pray to 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning. And uh, they would usually, like, Tuesdays and Thursdays and some other, sometimes pastors from some of the other churches would, um, in, in, around in the area, they would come and they would join these ladies and the ladies began to pray the promise of God in Isaiah chapter 44, verse 3. It says, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty, and I'll flood upon the dry ground. During one of the prayer meetings, God actually said that he was going to bring in a preacher. And, uh, and so uh, there was a preacher that was actually scheduled to preach in Ireland. He traveled to Ireland. He was sitting in a service ready to preach, and God just revealed to him, convicted him, that he was in the wrong, wrong church. He actually got up, he got on a, on a boat and, and sailed to the Hebrides Island, and they said, we've been waiting for you. Come preach. And he preached the first night, and nothing happened. And when the deacon said to him, he says, hey, don't worry. He says, we're going to go to prayer and see what God says about this. Well, about 30 people gathered at the cottage that night to pray, and about 3 o'clock in the morning, God swept in. And 30 of them were prostrate and said, God, just have mercy on us. May we have hearts that are attuned to do your will. Well, the next night, buses came from the four corners of the island, crowded the church. Seven men who were being driven in a butcher's truck, when the Spirit of God fell upon them in great conviction, they, were, they, they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ even before they got to the church. And as Duncan prayed, wave after wave of conviction, his people fell on their knees and said, listen, started confessing their sins and, and getting right with God. Now, Duncan was an expository preacher. He, he preached a good, but listen, it wasn't the preaching in itself. It was because God's spirit worked in response to prayer. Matter of fact, um, after the meeting, they were all filing, filing out, and one young boy was, remained, and he started praying. He prayed for 45 minutes, confessing his sins and getting right with God. And as he was praying, the church began to fill again. And it, it filled so full that, that on the outside of the church, there was the same amount that couldn't get into the building. And while that was happening, uh, somebody hurried up to the preacher, very excited, says, come with me. There's a crowd of people outside the police station. They're weeping and in awful distress. I don't know what's wrong with them, but they're calling for someone to come and pray with them. A couple of the ministers that went to that police station described, I saw a sight I never thought was possible, something I shall never forget. Under the starlit sky, men and women were kneeling everywhere, by the roadside, outside the cottages, even behind the peat stacks, crying to God to have mercy upon them. What happened? Some ladies said, we need God to work. We need God to show up. Man, I've been in services. I mean, I value the preaching of the word. That's what I do, right? I value the preaching of the word. But I'm in services where people have gotten saved even before I got up to speak. Because they were just convicted by the Holy Spirit that they needed to get right with God. Can I ask you, church, will we be people of prayer? Do you care? Do you look out, do you care about the fields that God says are white unto harvest? Look at them. They need to hear the word of God and they need us to be people of prayer that God's spirit will work in a powerful way. I remember talking to a pastor and, and he had preached a message about having a burden for your own family. So at the end of the message, 
there was quite a few of them, I don't know, 15 or more different families that said, listen, we have unsaved members of our family that we are just, we are broken about. We want to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so they met afterwards at the front with the pastor, and they said, what are we, can we do about it? And the pastor says, join me this week in a prayer meeting. Guess how many of them showed up in prayer meeting? The pastor said, not one showed up in prayer meeting. Didn't care enough even to give one hour to pray for their own loved ones. May that never happen here at True Life. Maybe say, I'm going to give that one hour, and I'll give a lot more than one hour because I need God to work. I need God to be at work. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of what God is doing in 2022. I want to be part of something eternal. It starts with being a people who proclaim the word of God. It starts with being a people who pray. 